Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Cool, nice to see you all. Uh, my name is Leanne, and I help lead the church here. And uh, I'm here to share with you about Ephesians 3. So, first of all, a little story, though. I'm currently applying for planning permission. And it is some task. So I've been uh, scouring Dunleary, Rathdown, County Council, planning website, trying to ed- identify exactly what they require. And I merrily went in a couple of weeks ago with my maps and my plans and everything and, uh, and sat down and you're on these chairs waiting for the room to become available. I'm starting to get a bit anxious. feels a little bit tense in here. And... Uh, and as the people came out of the room that were before me, I joked, I feel like I'm waiting for a job interview. And the guy said, it's worse. And I was like, oh, no. But seriously, I left there with my tail between my legs. I seriously underestimated how much stuff goes into one of these planning applications. And today I want to talk to you about how we can easily underestimate the church. We have a vision that's so big. But God's vision is so much bigger. And Ephesians 3 is all about God's incredible plan for his church. This vision with the church fully united to each other and fully united to God. He has in mind a plan of mind-boggling proportions. And we can underestimate its importance, its significance, and also our role and importance within it. You know, we can see it as us gathering as a community to worship Jesus together. And it is that, but it's also so much more. So as we look at Ephesians 3, I want to show you three things about God's plan. First of all, it requires everyone. All sorts. It also has cosmic proportions, cosmic influence. And for that, we're going to need cosmic resources for his plan. So, Ephesians 3, it has a really interesting and unusual beginning. You can see it on your sheets there if you, if you want to have a look. And uh, it's unusual at the beginning. And it ri- reminded me of whenever I write a talk or an essay, I write the beginning, I get through it, and then I always go back to the start and change it. I don't think I have ever written an essay or done a talk where I've kept my original start. And it's total conjecture, but I wonder if Paul is a little bit similar in this situation. He starts and then goes, oh, actually, hang on a minute. I'm going to say something else first, and I'll come back to that later. So he starts with this sentence. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then totally changes tack. And he comes back to this, these words in verse 14 later. So you can see what he was going to say later on but first of all he wants to explain something so let's look at this first part in verses one to nine for this reason i paul the prisoner of christ jesus for the sake of you gentiles insert imaginary backspace and restart surely you have heard about the administration of god's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as i have already written briefly In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, 
as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. In this section, Paul is essentially summarizing what he's just written in Ephesians 2 and what you will have heard if you were here last week from Danny when we looked at that section. He wants his readers, first of all, to understand the fundamentals of our community, that we are one family, that we all belong, that God's ideal community, which he'd revealed to Paul and which had previously been a mystery, was of unity. It says in verse 6 that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, the Jews, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The dividing walls in Paul's time was specifically what he talks about in Galatians 3 verse 28 because he said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. All of those differences, he said, they're no longer relevant. They're all one in Christ. There's no, uh, there's no class system in, in, the, in the church. We all have equal status, worth, and value. And this was, that was, this was incredible in Paul's day, totally countercultural. But it actually is sometimes in our culture too. What are the dividing lines in our culture? Well, I thought of a few. I thought gender, skin color, age, sexuality, ethnic background, and there's more, of course. Paul tells us that all of these belong. Everyone, uh, it requires everyone, God's plan for his family, and we all belong. We all have a crucial part to play and a contribution to bring. So do you ever feel different? Paul says, brilliant. It literally takes all sorts to be a part of God's family, to be the body of Christ. Imagine an exquisite tapestry with threads of different colors and textures and thicknesses woven together to create an astounding thing of beauty. That is the church and that beautiful tapestry of differences that God weaves together is what he uses to accomplish his plan. He requires us to be different and he uses our differences. We need each other's differences to fulfill God's plan. But the thing is, we can easily see this idea of unity and community through our own lenses, like a kind of idealistic, living in a commune, oneness kind of idea that we imagine. But it is, that idea is imaginary. God's idea is much more. His unity is, is more messy and complicated. It involves forgiveness and grace and, grace and patience. It isn't easy, far from it. We're all different. We come from different places. We have different views and different backgrounds. But we don't, we don't make this unity happen. God says we are united already, and we just participate in what God has formed. So God's family includes 
and requires everyone woven together to form his body. So this is the first point. Let's look at the next part of the passage, verses 10 to 13. This is the crux of the passage. It's like the pivot point. And it's crucial that we don't underestimate that God's plan for his church. It's got cosmic proportions. Whoops. Uh, so read it with me. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Just read that again. I'm going to put it in a slightly different order. According to his eternal purpose, the manifold, which means entire, complete, all-encompassing, the whole wisdom of God is made known to who? To the world? Not even. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And how, is he, how does he do that? Through the church. This is his eternal purpose, his eternal plan. This has always been his church plan for the church, and it always will be. A plan of cosmic proportions. And we can assume that these rules and authorities are good and evil, are God-serving, Satan-serving. God somehow has seen in his wisdom that to accomplish what he wants, for his wisdom to be fully displayed in the heavenly realms, that he will use his church for that. God has a plan of cosmic proportions. And this is my second point. His plan requires everyone, and his plan is huge and hugely significant. But I think it's pretty safe to say that God wouldn't be entirely pleased with his church, church's work in that regard over the centuries. And it would be easy to give up on such a flawed institution. Like sure enough, in every sphere, in every denomination, in, in every generation, there's been need of reform and renewal. And we ourselves today, we need God's work in us. We need him to work personally and corporately on a deeper level. And we're going to come to that a bit later. It's so easy to do it ourselves and do the best that we can instead of re relying on God. But God has not abandoned his church and neither should we. He has a divine plan, an eternal purpose. He knew how things would turn out in the church and he still chose to use it for these cosmic purposes. It's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, but it's true. So don't underestimate the role of the church to communicate God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So how on earth, or in the universe, you might say, are we going to be able to have that kind of impact when we're so flawed, we're so imperfect, we're so small? This is where verses 12 to 13, just it's the bottom part of the screen here mostly. Because of Christ and what he accomplished, through him, we can approach God confidently. Aware of our flaws, aware of our limitations, of our weaknesses, we can approach God confidently in prayer for this equipping that we need, these cosmic resources, cosmic-sized resources that we need. And this is what Paul does in this next section. Paul restarts what he began to say at the beginning of the chapter. We know who's in the church, everyone, and we know what God's wisdom plan is 
this cosmic size plan, and we're going to need resources from God to do that work. So let's read the next section, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Knowing the significance of God's huge plan for his church, Paul has a huge prayer for us. And if we stand a chance at fulfilling God's purpose, we're going to need this. So Paul prays, just to summarize, that we will be strengthened with power so that Christ dwells within us. We're going to need to be rooted and established in love. We're going to need to know the extent, the vastness of Christ's love. And we're going to need to be filled to God's fullest measure. So let's look at this first one. That's in verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We're going to need spiritual strength, which can only come from Christ and his spirit. That strength will enable Christ to dwell within us. And this word dwell means that he's at home, not like a temporary tenant, but a permanent resident who's there to stay. And, and surely you might ask, well, you know, when we become a Christian, doesn't Christ dwell within us then? And that is true, but it's also something of degrees that can deepen. We need Christ to dwell in us. And as we submit to him fully in all the areas of our lives and we follow him more closely and we know him in a deeper way, we depend on his strength more and more to direct us. Christ dwells in us more and more deeply. You could continue this analogy of whether you're a renting tenant or a permanent, uh, permanent resident by how much, how far you allow Jesus into your life. You know, do you let him into the porch and the hallway, or do you let him see the good rooms, the kitchen and the living room, or whatever, or do you let him see the messy bits and the dirty bits? Do you allow him to move around the furniture and change and choose the decoration? Do you allow him to work in the areas when things are broken? and need fixing, do you allow him to do those? The kind of dwelling Paul is praying for is when Jesus is materially included in all aspects of our lives, not just in the entrance bits that look nice, but in every press, in every cupboard, in every nook and cranny. We need God's strength through his spirit so that Christ can dwell in our hearts more fully and make the changes as he sees fit. And we need to pray for that. Let's not be self-reliant. This was something I was so challenged with as I was, as I was writing this. 
to not be satisfied with how close your relationship is with Jesus right now, but to pray for a deeper and deeper dwelling, to pray for more and more conviction of where Jesus wants to move in your life. You know, don't make do with where you're at now, no matter, no matter where that is. Secondly, in the second half of verse 17, Paul's prays that we are rooted and established in love. And it's interesting that both of those words, rooted and established, are to, are to do with foundational things. So the roots, like the root of a tree, or established, some Bible versions even use the word grounded, is like the foundations of a building. And it's like saying that these things, these roots or establishments, they are the unseen strength of what is on the surface. And so he's saying that that should be our love. The way we love God and the love that we have for each other. And love is such a preeminent value of God's. Essentially, it was for his love that he came to save us. And it's fundamental that at the core of our beings, we have love. And we need to pray for this, too, because it doesn't come naturally sometimes a lot, often. Now, I tend to get along with most people. I'm pretty accommodating and uh, I think... As on reflection, I was thinking it's probably because I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I want people to like me. But anyway, I tend to get on with people. But there's this one girl, a good friend of mine that I used to know. And uh, oh, there's just something that grated with her. I just found, I found her really difficult. And it was nothing that she did. It was entirely me, my hard heart. And um, by God's grace, I thank him. He, it me ended up that we spent quite a lot of time together. And so I asked God to change my heart because it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good situation. And he did. He completely changed my heart so that now I have such a deep love for her that I didn't have before. And I can't take credit for that. Do we pray that God will root us and establish us in love when we don't naturally feel it? We, we need love to be so fundamental and foundational in our hearts. And we must pray as Paul does, because we need it desperately in order to fulfill God's purpose for his church. Thirdly, Paul prays that we will know Christ's love in verse 18. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Once our own hearts are rooted and established in love, he prays that we will grasp the unlimited dimensions of Christ's love. And we need his power to do that too. There's this children's song that me and Steve would have sometimes sung to the kids. Uh, you, you may know it, that says, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Oh, wonderful love. And it says, so high you can't get over it. So low you can't get under it. So wide you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. And I love the next part of this passage. Look with me to verse 19. It says, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Praying to know something beyond knowing. That sounds a bit crazy. But there's no like, oh, well, it surpasses knowledge. So there's no, no point in trying. As we grasp more and more of the sheer vastness of Christ's love, we realize we can never get an end to it. We can never get to the point where, Oh, Jesus' love's actually stopped here. So if I, if I go past it, then he won't love me anymore. No, his love is boundless, limitless, never-ending. We can never go beyond it. And how reassuring is it that the more and more we learn of his love, 
the more and more we realize we can't get to the end of it because it's so vast and beyond knowledge. How reassuring we can never get to its limits. We can never even see its limits. And what a difference it makes when we pause for just a moment to dwell on this fact. The limitless love of God that surpasses knowledge. Do you know how deep his affection is for you? Do you know the precious blood of the Son of God was worth spilling for you so that you could know his infinite love? Jesus' love is really very wonderful. And then note in verse 18 what it says of the context in which we know his love. It says, together with all the Lord's holy people. It takes the whole people of God to know the whole love of God. As we talked about earlier, it needs all of us to know his love, to fulfill his plan. And fourthly, Paul prays for us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You could say it is filled to God's fullness. And to note, note as well that it's not filled with the fullness of God, but filled to the fullness of God. It's a bit similar to 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, where it says to be, it talks about being holy as God is holy. It's pointing towards a fullness that God has, that we will have in heaven, that we will know in heaven. That's final state of perfection. And as we look and ask God to equip us as a church, we ask, us, we ask him to make us more like him, to know his power and his strength and his love more and more, to have it dwell within us in a deeper and deeper way. Paul concludes his prayer for this cosmic equipping, this cosmic resources for his plan by acknowledging God's supremeness in all of it. He can do far more than we can ever dream of let alone ask. And we can be confident that the source of his plan and the source of all these resources that we're praying from are infinite in themselves because they come from an infinite God. It's a limit limitless source of that same love and power and strength that we can pray for. And we can be confident that he'll do all we ask of him because he's powerful and because he cares for us. So, Let's summarize. Ephesians 3 says that God has a purpose for his church, but his church, his family, includes and requires everyone to play their part. There should be no divisions, no them and us. We are one. We are united. We are all valuable and we all belong. He's weaving us into his tapestry for his, to, for his purposes. So, what divisions are there between us? Where do our differences get in the way so we either exclude ourselves or feel we're excluded by others? These exclusions are not what God wants. God wants his church to live in the reality of its unity in him so that we can fulfill his purposes. With all its mess and its difference and its mistakes and its forgiveness, God wants us to live like that because heaven is watching. And his purpose for his church is cosmic. He has chosen in his wisdom to communicate his wisdom to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms through his church. So when do we underestimate the church? When do we want to 
give up because we feel it's never going to be good enough. Or perhaps that we're not good enough to be a part of it. Or neglect it because it's a bit too hard and a bit too complicated. God has an eternal and cosmic plan for his church. So let's not underestimate that. And how do we stand a chance at accomplishing his purposes? Only with prayer for his cosmic-sized resources from God. We need to be strengthened with his power so that Christ dwells in us more and more deeply. We need to be rooted in love for one another and for God, and we need to ask for more and more love. We need to know the vastness of Christ's love for us, the, its unstoppable limits, the limits that we can never get to the end of, and we need to be filled to the fullness of God, that we become more and more like him. So where do we get along by ourselves when we go through the motions? When do we use our own strength? Uh, when are we satisfied with a luke, lukewarm hearts towards each other or towards God? Let's not do this. Let's call out to God that we need his power and his strength and his love and his holiness in order to follow him fully, in order for us together to fulfill his purposes, knowing that he cares for us and he has the power to provide us with those things. Or perhaps you're here and, and you're new to Christ City Church, or perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus and this whole message of unity is entirely new to you. I want to say thanks for coming and for listening. And you, you're really welcome here with us. Um, you know, this idea that Jesus gave out of love, he gave his life so that we could be reconciled to God eternally if we believe in him. It's, you know, it, it might be a new concept and maybe this idea that his church, which is the people and not the place or the building, though in nowhere perfect, that God cares for us and wants us to know him more and more deeply so that he can bring unity and share his wisdom of unity to the furthest off places that there are that might be an unusual concept for you, but if it intrigues you, I'd encourage you to look into it more and, um, and see if it is true. And I'd be really happy to chat with you further about that if you'd like as well. So I'm just going to finish by praying. Father, we thank you uh, for this passage of Ephesians 3. We thank you that you, uh, even though we are small and weak and um, we make mistakes, Lord, that you... Uh, see it in your, in your love to love us with an infinite, limitless, never-ending love. And you have a plan to, to use your church uh, to bring about your, the sharing of your wisdom about who you are, Lord. So show us what it is to be united. Show us what it is to seek these things, to seek your love, your power, your strength, your fullness, um, and to know you deeper and deeper. Amen. Thank you.